0: Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it.
1: Hey, all you crazy sci fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the Sci Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Pierre Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over a science fiction passion—a place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without
0: further ado, all right, Chris. Thank you for that wonderful, humble "everybody says so" introduction. You do it perfectly every time, naturally, and you're so humble. Like I said, everyone says so.
1: Of course, I do. <laughs> <laughs> And you do say so yourself, and, and, and that that only took one take. I did that on the first try. It was amazing. <laughs> All right. Today we are doing an, an interview do. with author M. K. Clark.
0: <laughs> She's a. Author and tech writer based in Austin, Texas. Uh, in addition to publishing science fiction, she has produced multiple children's plays for community theater groups, published an undergraduate thesis, and received an honors bachelor's of arts in English and literature from the University of Texas in Arlington, she, where she currently lives with her husband and two fur babies. And yes, if that sounds like it was prepped, it's because we cheated and stole that from her bio. <laughs> How lazy is that? Outstanding. So I actually... Um, met MK first um when we were looking for authors to get started and introduced her to Chris but I found her when I was trolling I mean researching the various <laughs> author groups uh, and I did some some beta reading for her space jumper novel so when we were starting this up and we needed people to talk to I thought hmm this could be interesting so um here we are do you want to say anything else to introduce yourself or did did we cover it okay
2: no I, I think that about covers it um
0: outstanding all right so um we always start with the question um for for our author interviews of what you love about science fiction
2: okay um so i think for me what i love the most about science fiction is um basically the idea that anything can happen i mean i i know that anything can happen in like fantasy and stuff like that but there's a element of realism to science fiction i think because Science is all about finding out new things um, and the idea that some of this stuff, if if we discover how it actually works, it could really happen in the future. and I think that's fascinating.
1: so the so the potential yeah of of what you write actually coming true someday. As opposed to, eh, it's probably not going to be dragons.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I, I think I put it in the intro to to one of my um, books where you know this idea of it may not happen the way that you know we explain it in our writing or something, but there's an actual potential for this to be real one day,
0: which is very cool. All right. Well, first, let me let me correct both of you. All right. So I, I'm the one trained historian you two are the tech geeks and as a historian (laughs) i can tell you i have seen the old maps and this way be dragons is legitimate it's on the maps it must be true nobody ever lied in the age before internet (laughs) exactly so just because (laughs) all right so what really happened is the aliens brought the stargate and took all the dragons away to repopulate other planets yeah okay (laughs) it was because they were (laughs) eating people it was just rude
2: all right (laughs) okay
0: <laughs> oh well, that,
1: that
0: was kind That's of right. It. The dinosaur. Well, <laughs> dinosaurs were cranky. They liked to eat yeah. people, yeah. so they just threw the meteor for they them. They just
2: decided the dinosaurs were <laughs>
0: galactic pests Science grow. people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> they
0: just threw a giant rock. <laughs>
1: What do they call that an, an orbital, orbital kinetic weapon? All right.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. So, in your when I was reading your bio when we were prepping for the show, you mentioned that your evolution from um, childhood to, to writing now, as far as what you wanted to be when you grew up, started with wanting to be a fighter pilot. So, would you like yes. to tell us that story?
2: Um. So, um, I. I don't know when I actually decided that I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I I just know that I did one day because, I don't know, I thought they were cool. Um, Mostly jets. Like, I didn't want to fly something else. I definitely just wanted to fly jets um, because, one, it was flying, and then, two, because it was fast. And I've kind of always had a thing for speed.
0: (laughs) Hmm. I can totally understand. (laughs) um, I have probably paid for the police's retirement with all the tickets I paid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I got into some trouble with that. Um, but yeah, so I, I've kind of always had a thing for speed and and I wanted to do that um, for a long time. And then I think I got into high school and I started really looking at how to uh, fly jets with the military. And I think um, you, you either had to be good um, at taking orders or good at science and i wasn't good at either so <laughs> i knew I had to do something else
1: fair enough yeah i'm, I'm afraid to height so that would never actually happen with me no never <laughs> I, I can't even imagine <laughs>
0: well I, i've got two strikes against me for flying i'm colorblind and i wear glasses so that yeah that left pretty much the
1: infantry all right so Speaking of things that happen on the ground, it also says that you do plays. Has science fiction or writing in general, has it influenced how you create plays?
2: Um, So the play thing is actually totally separate from the science fiction thing. Um, That was uh, something we had a kind of mentor relationship with a librarian when I was growing up. And we spent a lot of time in the library with her. Um, and Mm -hmm. so she kind of pioneered a community theater program when I was real young. And so I was in a bunch of the plays growing up. And then, um, when I moved back to the area in college, she reached out to me and asked me to write some plays for her and to direct them. Um, and so I decided to do that because I was, um, yeah, I was, I was just, really getting serious about um not writing but publishing I guess Mm -hmm. um and really thinking hey this is something that I want to do so I was like yeah this would be a great opportunity for that um so I started writing those plays and um I actually think they helped me a lot as an author because um I was a very descriptive writer and I didn't do dialogue very well and Uh, plays are mostly dialogue (laughs) right um, they actually really helped me um, be a better author. I think doing um, that. So, so that was that was a really good opportunity for me in multiple ways.
1: Sure, I can imagine exercising a muscle that hadn't been used before. Yep. Yeah, the, the dialogue muscle. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> that works. I, I talk way too much to have any problem writing dialogue.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, this is true.
0: He's actually been really quiet. He, are you sick? Are you good, yeah? No, no, no. I was just trying not to talk over you. I thought, you know, this might be the episode where you got to say 10 words.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've said my 10 words. It's all you now. <laughs> I'm going to make all a cup right. of coffee. Well,
0: see, if you say that and you don't mean it, I'm going to cry. <laughs> now, the plays that you write, are they science fiction related? I mean, obviously, it's different. But like, what kind of plays do you write for the kiddies?
2: They're actually not science fiction at all. Um, they kind of are, are more in another level, which is um, uh, not not short stories, but like um, almost, I guess they're short stories, but they're like old stories, you know, like fairy tales, like the Grimm's oh. fairy tales and stuff like that. Um, which is a huge love of mine, of course. Um, I'm, I'm a Disney person, so I love I love Disney, and I love everything about the origins of where Disney came from. So all the Grimm's fairy tales and the Hans Christian Andersen and all of that is is a real love of mine. So um, my plays are actually um, kind of linked to that genre um, because I think that they're more child-friendly and easier to do, especially in a community theater setting where... Um, with the program that I was in, we were not only doing these plays with the children to get them into theater and to teach them how to act and start their whole theater careers. But we also had another side program that I ran, um, where we taught them how to put everything else together, um, for people who didn't want to act, but they wanted to learn about how to do scenery and how to do lighting and how to do all this other stuff. So, um, it's it's a little harder to do science fiction, I think, without all of the complicated um, tech you need to do all of that. So the the child friendly Grimm's fairy tale type of thing is much easier to do in a program like that. Um, so we did um, uh, King Threshbeard. I don't know if you've ever heard of that <laughs> one. Um, I, I wrote a play for that. Um, I wrote a play for something else. I can't remember anymore. I would have to look it up. Um, But then I think the last one I wrote before I moved away um, was it was a collection of Aesop's fables, which was really kind of fun to put together because I had um, the story of the hare and the turtle as the unifying theme of the whole play. And basically the whole race was them going through and and hitting up, like coming across all of these other stories that happen in Aesop's fables. So you had like a whole bunch of other stories because as they did their race, they ran across them. Um, so that was really fun, like exercise, not just with the kids, but to write and to learn to tie together all of these different stories and episodes with like one unifying theme. So that was a really fun exercise for me as a writer.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's a great way to, to grow it.
2: Yeah. So I don't know like I said, it really isn't sci-fi, but it's still
0: a lot of fun as a writer. Well, I mean, it makes you more dynamic because if Hollywood ever came knocking, you're not relying on someone else to tell your story in this new medium. So it's not necessarily a bad
1: thing. Plus, it's, it's good. It's good. It's interesting to hear how authors have developed their craft. And so this is a really interesting way to develop the craft.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's a really good exercise for like if you struggle with how to do, you know, uh, unifying plot and then have a bunch of subplots on other layers as well. Like that's a really um good way to learn how to do that, I think, um, because you start to learn to look at things on multiple levels, whereas before you were just looking at one plot. So, you know, um, at the time I was finishing up. The first book of the Young Soldier series. When I wrote this Aesop's Fables play, and then I went back and I added a whole bunch more layers after that.
1: That's great. Hmm. All right. Well, personally, I can remember back to when I was three years old and my sister came home from the hospital. And so I can remember my first taste of sci-fi. But what was your first taste? What, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's one what, segue. What? So your
0: first taste of sci-fi is when your sister came home from the hospital. Was was no, no,
1: I can remember back to three, my first season of sci-fi when I was four, and I went to see Star Wars in the theater.
0: Okay, I was like thinking maybe there was like ET relationship with your with your sister or something you weren't sharing with
1: us. She did have antenna, but we had those removed when she was a baby. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> you can continue. Oh, great! Now she's going to hear all about it. I'll have to edit that part out. <laughs> so, all right. So, so, so what? So what was your your first? your your first memory your your first taste of sci-fi that got you hooked
2: so this is kind of interesting because I've actually had to kind of go back and step myself back toward this idea because I actually got curious about it myself one day because honestly I never considered myself to be a science fiction person like ever and then one day I don't know Years ago, really. Like even when I was writing science fiction, I didn't consider myself a science fiction person. Like this is how delusional I was. Um (laughs) so one day my best friend just came out and I said something and she was like, That is not true. You're definitely a science fiction person. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. She's like, uh yeah, you are. So I started like looking back to see if I really was or not. And sure enough, um I have a picture book. It doesn't even have words in it. I have a picture the box that um, I had my mother, quote unquote, read to me every night when I was before I could even read words. Wow! <laughs> this wow. picture book is about, and I and I actually went and I found it um, online, and I bought like four different copies of this <laughs> picture book so that I could give it to like my nephews and stuff. Um, but uh, the story is about this little boy and his teddy bear and he has this cardboard box and he gets inside this cardboard box with his teddy bear and he shoots off into space and they go on this adventure to this new world and they run into like a bunch of aliens and somebody like tries to steal the bear and lock him up and he has to go and rescue him and then they, you know, have to go back to the rocket, which is the cardboard box and, you know, get back home and stuff and... It's this whole little adventure in a picture book, <laughs> and that's when I found this. And I, you know, traced this all the way back to then. I was like, yeah, I guess
0: right. all right, all right. So if she can send us the link, we'll throw the book in the show notes.
2: It's an awesome book.
0: <laughs> so that way, if anybody wants to see it, uh, do you know the name of the book? Yes, the
2: awesome. I. All right. It's called the box. Yeah, it took me a while to find it because um, I don't think it's in print anymore. But I did find it. It wasn't that expensive, um, the copies that I found. So I did buy four of them. I don't know if I bought the last four, <laughs> but I bought them.
0: So if there are no more available, you know who to send the hate mail to. That's right. Just have <laughs> so. we'll her contact info on the show notes. Outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. So I actually I started thinking about that when you guys were talking because you know I was trying to remember the first one, and I remember when I was younger. I would read um, books that were not appropriate for my age, mostly because it irked the adults in my life. So, like, I remember getting in trouble in the fourth grade for reading Stephen King, not because I necessarily loved Stephen King, but just because they were like, no, don't do that. What are you thinking? (laughs) Um, And so I think the first time I actually consciously decided to read something because I wanted to was Orson Scott Card's The Memory of Earth series. Because it seemed a lot like fantasy to me, the way he he set that universe up. So that Mm -hmm. was it for me. He did some good stuff. I remember when I was in, oh, this is in the the ancient days of dial up when we still had AOL and it was that K-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k. you've got mail all that nonsense. If you're not old enough to understand that, you're just too young. Um, but that was for for the listening audience. But you know that was a big deal. I remember we had like a a computer conference with him where he was in the chat with us in my high school, no middle school English class. Where Orson Scott Card did that. and We asked him all kinds of questions. So, but anyway, so, how did your love for for reading you know science fiction picture books and all that transition into deciding you know what I'm gonna write novels
2: so um well since i I never really considered myself a science fiction girl it I don't really feel like it it did um that's not really why I started writing um or even why I started writing science fiction um but uh actually. My dad used to encourage my sister to write. Um, she's just about a year older than me. And he would always read the little short stories that she read and like encourage her and tell her how awesome they were and stuff like that. And I just got super jealous. <laughs> so I, I was going to write um, because I'm just a super jealous person, I guess. But then I never showed him anything that I wrote, so it was kind of self defeating. Um, But at some point. Whoever works, I guess. At some point, that turned into like serious writing. Um, You know, I wrote a bunch of different short stories, and um, that turned into writing the type of stuff that I wanted to read. Um, and I don't know, I just felt like there wasn't enough stuff out there that I wanted to read. So I was going to write what I wanted to read. Um, and that just happens to be apparently science fiction, even though I didn't admit that until, you know, three years ago.
0: Okay. (laughs) So where did you, let me, let me phrase this a little bit better when you started writing, and you decided you were you're, you're writing these stories that you wanted to read, which is what I think what, what all good writers do, because if you don't want to read it, why the heck would anybody else? Um, what do you think is your single largest influence on, on how you write and those stories that you want to read?
2: Uh, probably Orson Scott Card. Um, I love him. I love everything that he does. I read all of his books. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Orson Scott Card. So most definitely hands down him um, for sure. And then probably after that, um, an author called Marcus Zuzak, who wrote *The Book Thief*. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that, but um,
0: I haven't? No, I've heard of it that. Though.
2: That book in particular has influenced not me in the genre, but just my writing in general because um, that's who I want to write like. Um, the way that he writes *The Book Thief* is like nothing I've ever read before um just how he uses description and prose and everything i mean it's amazing it's it's he's how i want to write
0: okay so uh since we've talked about card twice now i think he really ought to give us a little bit of kickback but you know we're, we're gonna be generous and keep talking about him so you've read everything he ri- he's written you said so did you watch the movie adaptation of ender's game
2: of course What'd multiple times the same day.
0: <laughs> okay. So you enjoyed it. I take it. Unless you're like a I masochist. Not, and we didn't...
2: <laughs> um, I did not like it at all, which is why I watched it a second time because I was really disappointed and I wanted to give it a second try to see if I liked it better the second time around. Like, did I just go into this movie with a bunch of expectations that weren't met. And that's why I didn't like it. Um, or, you know, if it was just a crappy movie, um, so so I watched it again to try and, and determine that. And then I went home and I actually wrote an essay about the changes that they made from the book to the movie to just try and rationalize some of the changes to see if maybe I could get in the head of the script writer to see why did they make these changes and were they justifiable? And by the time I was done writing the essay, I was actually okay with the changes that they made. Huh? So yeah, I, I rationalized all of them and when it all made sense to me and I watched the movie a third time, I was like, yeah, that's okay. That's a good movie. And
0: that's dedication. Wow. I'm never, I never It makes like sense.
2: I, I needed to like this movie, guys.
0: Cognitive <laughs> dissonance is a thing. I mean,
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm only slightly obsessed.
0: Eh, obsessed, <laughs> passionate, whatevs. So, does your does your husband humor you in all of this, or does he just roll his eyes? I get a lot of eye rolling from my wife.
2: <laughs> yeah. He actually does humor me. It's really quite funny. He is so, so supportive of what I do. And he tries so hard to be supportive as well. And it's really quite entertaining because he, um, the first, the first book um, is, is I categorize it as a, as a young adult because it's a, a coming of age story. And he apparently, I've learned this, hates Coming of age stories, <laughs> and he and he, you know, tries to be supportive. So he he's he's been reading through the book, and he's been reading through the book for a year now, just trying to make it through because he hates coming of age stories, and so he's still <laughs> pushing through it. Like I'm, I'm almost to the end now. He's like, it's it's a good book. I just don't like young adult stories. <laughs> So he tries, yeah. And then like I'll have random conversations with him about like topics that he doesn't even understand what I'm talking about. Mostly because I start in the middle of a conversation that I started in my head, and (laughs) he just kind of sits there and nods, and he's like, "Okay, uh huh." And then I'll be like, "Well, good talk," and I'll go away, and he's just like, "I have no idea what just happened." I I can understand (laughs) that.
1: All right. I'm
0: not alone. No. I feel like we should be chanting one of us, one of us. (laughs) So, all right. So, um, (laughs) sorry. All right. So you're the series that you mentioned that you're writing the young soldier, uh, book. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, that series?
2: So, um, this series, um, is, well, the, the first three books of this series are about, um, Dawn, and like I said, it's a coming-of-age story, so it starts out where he's really young, Um and it follows him as he grows up into an adult. But the series as a whole um follows him from the time of, like, when he's young, and he's, like, just starting out, and he wants to be a space jumper. That's, like, the thing he's wanted forever and ever, and that's what he's starting out to do. Um And, he, you know, he's got to overcome a bunch of different things to do at that. But as he overcomes all these, you know, obstacles and he, you know, grows up and gets into the real world and, and starts to see how the real world works, um, you know, his perspective on things kind of, kind of changes, you know, and he becomes a little bit cynical. And eventually what happens is he um, overthrows the governing body in this in this world. Um, And that's not something that I'm giving away. Like, this is not like a spoiler or anything. (laughs) You find that out at the very beginning of the book. So that's not a spoiler, I promise. Um, But he, you know, throughout his journey, he overthrows the governing body of the world. And um, so so the series just kind of is this, it introduces this concept um, at the very beginning of the series where you know what happens in the future. You know that he overthrows the governing body and he does this through a rebellion. And you know that 20, 30 years after this rebellion and after he's overthrown the governing body, people hate him. Um, and so that's that's the introduction to the series is, is you know that people hate him for what he did. And then you start the series, and you start at the very beginning of his journey, and the series is just kind of like, how did he go from being this kid to the person that everybody hates?
0: So that's um that's kind of a heavy way to start a series. Yeah. So, so where did you um like how did that uh, that that evolution of a story idea sort of sort of start for you?
2: I don't remember like long long time ago when I was plotting this book out. Like I don't remember when I when I initially came across um, the idea for this, um, but I do know what kind of sparked it for me. Um, And I don't remember why, but I was doing research into things like Alexander the Great. And it just kind of made me stop when I was, you know, looking into his history and what he did and, We call him Alexander the Great, right? But he was a horrible person. And he did, like, Nazi Germany horrible killing, right? Like, mass murder. We hate Hitler for the stuff that he did. But we call Alexander the Great Alexander the Great, right? And it's this this concept of um, how history changes how we see people. One, because of time and like time changes how we look at things. And then also because of who, not necessarily who wins a conflict, but who kind of takes control after a conflict and the history that they choose to write, right? So the, the idea behind this was really centered around these, these types of themes where I wanted to explore these concepts of time And also um, perspective, right? And how perspectives change over a period of time. And when you start to look at history and things like that, and um, you go back, you know, a hundred years, even, you can look at events that occurred and what we think about what was happening at that time is completely different than what they thought about it then, right? So... It's really, it's, I, I find time to be a fascinating subject, so that's kind of where it came from.
0: Okay. Well, that's, um, that's a little interesting because I find um, history fascinating, but we're going to use that natural pause and um, take a second for a word from our sponsors.
2: Don O'Hara was lucky. At least, that's what everyone else said. Born the son of a general, with a guaranteed ticket to commander's school, Don had his future laid out for him. Only he didn't want that future. All he ever wanted was to be a space jumper. Lucky for him, he never lacked guts. Pursuing Dreams is an action-packed science fiction young adult adventure that takes the reader on a wild ride as Don fights for his dream and, as a result, stumbles upon the truth about his family and the O'Hara legacy. With his life turned on end and unable to shake the feeling that he's being watched, Don does the only thing he can. He keeps moving forward, not knowing that every step takes him closer to becoming the most hated man alive.
1: Okay, welcome back. So, I'm curious, some authors, when they start a series... Already have it planned out where it's going to end, or at least they have an idea of how it's going to end, or at least how many books they'd like to see. Where do you see your your series going the uh, uh, the Young Soldier series?
2: So um, this series, the way I initially planned it, um, was going to just have three books, um, and that was it. I was going to follow. Don's story um, through throughout the three books, and the three books really look at separate periods of time in his journey, and and that plot kind of you know follows, and and then it really ends, and that's that's pretty much it. So originally, that's the story that I was going to tell. Um, in the many years that I've been plotting and writing this story, I've had. Ideas of how to expand the universe a little bit, um, how to follow other characters. Um, there's a lot of different groups involved um, throughout the, the different plots. So there's a lot of other characters where I could not even just um, in the Space Jumper program, but, you know, in, in another group that you see in the book. Um, that you don't really get a whole lot of insight to, but their whole group is really fascinating. And I know that because, you know, I'm the author and I know everything about, (laughs) Um, um, I, you know, there, there are characters and stories that I could pursue in those other groups that would still fit this, the young soldier concept, right? Because, you know, they're all young characters. Um, that they start out, it's, it's all coming of age. I really do like coming of age stories. Um, so, so there, I do have things where I could expand, um, if I really wanted to, but, um, at this point, um, it's just those three books. And then I, you know, I may expand later if there's a lot of support for the series and there's a lot of people who just, you know, want, want more in that world. So, you know, it could
0: expand. All right. So um, when you're done with this series, right, you, you've mentioned where you thought this individual series goes. But let's say, you, you know, six months from now, you've written the last th- three novels in the universe and you're going to write something else. Where do you see yourself going with your next creation?
2: Like in this series or just like in general writing something completely different?
0: Assuming that you're writing something after The Young Soldiers.
2: I've been exploring a lot of um, different topics through some short stories. Um, And so I, one of them, I'm actually planning a couple of short stories um, that eventually like I'll I'll publish them separately as short stories and then I'll combine them into, into one book as it were. But it also kind of follows that same kind of episodic um, structure of the young soldier series where Um, the three books follow the different periods of his life Um, so the short stories all kind of look at different time periods of the same event that occurs Um, so I definitely want to follow that one through and that's kind of like um, it's science fiction but it's also like an apocalyptic science fiction Um, so that one's kind of fun Um, so I'm I'm plotting that one out um, as well and I probably will publish it while I'm publishing The Young Soldier Story, not after, um, because I feel like, you know, there'll be fun stuff to do in between. Um, and I feel like writing other things keeps me from getting bored with the current story. So, so there's that one. And then I've got a couple of other ones. I've got a fantasy, actually, um, that I really want to write, and it has no science fiction at all.
0: Like an Anne McCaffrey
2: kind of fantasy
0: or a fantasy kind of fantasy?
2: Uh... No, pretty much fantasy. Okay. No science fiction. Nothing. No technology.
0: All right. So I, I just wanted you to know when you were taking or when you were talking about Alexander the Great, that and everybody listening needs to know this, that that Chris used his um his administrator function and he muted the heck out of me. Because I totally <laughs> could have taken this to like a twelve hour show about my love of history but he just he just woof grabbed the hook and, and pulled me <laughs> off stage so you're welcome i was um i was working on before i deployed and got hurt i was working on a master's degree in colonial american history so, wow. so studying dead people is is my thing nice so well they can't disagree with you and for someone as opinionated as me it's perfect they're dead <laughs> <laughs> oh my god absolutely what are they going to think about it <laughs> So, all right. That's um that's interesting. So do you think that um jump into the fantasy is going to potentially lose lose your readers or do you think they're going to transition?
2: I think my plan would be in order to not lose my readers, be publishing a science fiction alongside fantasy like I wouldn't just publish the fantasy like I would probably be publishing some kind of science fiction material at the same time that I was publishing the fantasy so I'll just kind of hold the fantasy back until I have something ready to publish um because that I don't want to just lose my readership and be like what is she doing um (laughs) I you know that's just kind of something where I you know I just really like the premise of the the story and I've been holding on to for some time. So it's kind of more going to be like a hobby thing for me rather than, Oh, I'm going to start writing fantasy.
1: So more, more of a palate cleanser.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So it'll be sci-fi plus fantasy instead of sci-fi or fantasy.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. The fantasy will definitely be more like a one-off hobby thing. Like, Oh, is doing something new. Now let's go back to the science fiction. Okay.
0: So do you uh, foresee this becoming a full-time gig for you, or you, you like the uh, the day job?
2: That is the dream, isn't it? Um. <laughs> not for
0: everyone. We've actually I've talked to authors who, who like their day job. They wouldn't want to do the writing full-time.
2: I, I, I think for me, it's more of um, kind of a in the middle. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't say for sure whether I would want to be a full-time author or not, because I've never had the opportunity. Um, but... I, I do enjoy my day job. You know, I work as um, a technical writer for an information security department. Um, so I get to do a lot of things in my day job that I normally would have no reason to do. You know, I do a lot of research into Different technology and information security and what um, hackers and criminals are up to, actually. I do a lot of research into the dark web, um, you know, and I learn a lot of things um, that I actually find very helpful when I'm writing because, you know, I can I speak on authority on certain things um, that I wouldn't normally be able to do. And so I like I like having that. Um, and my job is really interesting. Um, so that's nice. Um, I really love what I do. So I don't think I would ever want to leave that entirely. Um, but if I could do a like part-time in my position and part-time author, that would be, I think the goal for me, that would be my optimum existence because right now it's just really hard to get the time to write in the evenings and on the weekends. Sometimes I'm like, Bye, honey. I'll see you at nine o'clock tonight.
1: Yeah.
0: Definitely understand the balance. Mm -hmm. It gets even more complicated when you get kids in the picture.
2: Yeah, no kids. No. (laughs) Not me.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you've got the fur babies to to complain and bite your toes when you don't get enough attention.
2: They are a handful. Oh, my goodness. We might have the most jealous dogs on the planet. They are so jealous of just each other. I swear they're like, they're like my toddler nephews. (laughs) You cannot give one of them something and not give the other one the same thing. Like you can't pet one of them on the head and then not pet the other one because they would lose their mind.
0: What kind of dogs do you have?
2: We have, um, it's a Catahoula, uh, leopard dog. If you've ever heard of that, I have not, um, it's, he's about 70 pounds. He's about the size of a lab. Okay. Um, and then we have a Great Dane.
0: Oh, those are big.
2: Yeah, he's massive. He's one hundred and fifty pounds.
0: Wow. Wow. What made you decide yeah. to get a horse and call it a dog?
2: Well, actually, he's my husband's. Um, he came with the marriage. Okay. See. So, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but actually, um, I think the story with Dog—that's his name, Dog—for real. <laughs> a
0: dog named Dog. I like it.
2: So DOG was actually my brother-in-law's dog, I believe. And my brother-in-law was stationed overseas for a period of time. So we just kind of, um, or during my husband inherited him. And, um, and then we kept him.
0: So you're a dog napper in your spare time.
2: Yes, we are dognappers. Yes, unfortunately.
0: Outstanding criminal masterminds.
2: Yeah, unfortunately my husband won't let me dognap anymore. although i do show him cute pictures of dogs all the time
0: (sighs) well i mean could your could your existing dogs could they take the jealousy of one more i don't know yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so um now that we've talked about your books uh enough shameless plugging so what are you reading in the in the genre of science fiction besides uh Besides the two you've already mentioned, with, with Orson Scott Cardin, and Marcus, oh goodness, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but um, Sack
2: Marcus Sack is not actually, The Book Thief is not science fiction. Okay. It's historical fiction. Um, so that doesn't count as science fiction, unfortunately. However, I'm also not reading any science fiction currently, as horrible as that sounds. <sighs> Gasp! I know. I know. It's, it's awful. I'm I'm bad author.
1: No, um, no. Some authors will actually avoid it on purpose because they're afraid that what they're reading will influence what they're writing.
2: Well, I think for me, like um, I'm working on a, on a project right now with a group of writers where we're doing a short story series where all of our short stories are within the same series. And so I've been coordinating, getting that ready. And so I've been doing a bunch of editing and, and reading all of their stuff. So I haven't really had time to actually read science fiction books. Um, But I also, I'm also um, reading some fantasy and comedy right now um, because I think that it helps me like get out of science fiction and stay a little more versatile than like just you know, doing the standard science fiction thing, um, you know, the comedy helps me try and, you know, not get lost in just the, the deep science technology stuff. And and fantasy is just yeah. fun for me. I've always loved fantasy. So I'm, uh, I'm reading the Shannara Chronicles right now. And I am.
0: Oh, I love those. <laughs>
2: Rereading um, Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum series because I love that one. Okay. It's so funny.
0: So have you looked at any of the um, the space comedy that's out there? Like, I think it's Barry Hutchinson, right, Chris? Yes. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, so I haven't read any of it yet. I have it. It's queued up on my Kindle, but I haven't actually read it yet. I do own it. I have really good intentions of reading it.
0: I'm a horrible impulse buy when it comes to it. Yeah. When you do eventually read it, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. It's, so, it's a hoot. Do you uh, do any audiobook listening to get some of that reading in while you're commuting?
2: Um, I used to, uh, but I had to stop taking the train last year. So now I listen to podcasts. Um, okay. I have audiobooks. Um, I've actually been listening to my audiobook recordings recently because I hired somebody to do um, audiobooks for me. So I've been listening. The recordings
0: but I That has to happen. I have minions for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I know that sounded You should you should do that.
2: I should. I really should, but
0: see I, I... I put my mom and my wife to work. And if I need more minions, I guess I'm going to have to become a polygamist or something because <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day. Wow. I, you went there.
2: <laughs> I have a control issue, I think. I just, like, I have to know that it's okay myself. Like, I
0: have to listen. See, I don't. So once I tell the story, for me, I, I've moved on. So, like, I don't even, I do it because obviously you have to, but I don't even like going back to the editing. I'm like, nope, I want to tell the next story. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> but I actually don't mind listening to the audiobook. I hate editing. But for me, the audiobook files are actually really interesting because um I can I can be totally sick of my book because I've been editing, right? Just I can't read another page of my own work because I've edited it so much and then all of a sudden the audio file and it's like a whole new story for me. Um, just because, but, well, one, I'm not, I'm not narrating it, so I don't have to listen to my own voice. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh, I like listening to somebody else read it. It's, it's a whole new adventure.
0: See, I, is uh, I don't know when I had to do that on my end, it was very, very. I don't know. I felt kind of cringy. I'm like, ooh. But, but then again, like I said, I, I'd already moved on. It was my story, so I knew everything about it. And so and I definitely think um, listening to your audiobooks is, is definitely a good way to grow. Or just the, the when you hear how it's read as opposed to how you see it in your head, it definitely changes how you write, I think, when you realize someone's going to be saying this out loud. Yes. <laughs> you right. Yes. It gives you a whole new respect for people that write
1: stage plays.
2: Yep,
1: right, and you got to be careful what you name your characters because they have to be pronounceable. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, that has been such a interesting thing um, with this audiobook. I actually hired somebody from the UK to do the recording, um, and so the pronunciation—like we use different words for things—and then the way that he pronounces the names and the way that I heard the names in my head are sometimes totally different. And like, oh, well, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's like, well, that actually is okay. And then like, no, you have to fix that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I got really, really lucky. And I was, I remember when we were dealt with, um, Jeffrey Kiefer, I think is how you say his name. Um, he does the, um, the audio for mine and he was so shocked. He's like, now, how do you pronounce this and this? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I read it on the page, but I didn't have like I wasn't attached to any pronunciation. And I think as long as you can do that, it makes it very, very easy because you can become whatever you want it to be. Yes. I mean, you could you could spell red and they could call him Bob. And as long as the the narrator is consistent, well, that's just how you pronounce it. Right. So obviously nothing that extreme. But I think it's when people get really, really attached that it's when you start driving your narrators insane.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So so when could we expect your uh, your audiobooks to come out? Do you have any um ideas on that yet?
2: Um spring? Is that a big enough answer?
1: <laughs> sure. That perfect.
2: Works.
1: Um here's another question. Because I I'm I'm fascinated. I I'm very very curious about, about some of the stuff that you've researched. Is there anything any new scientific breakthroughs, any new New, especially like scary tech that's coming out that that you're fascinated by that you you're going to be doing more research on what do you see coming out in science that uh that excites you
2: well like i i, I do research every day for my job um but that's all you know technology based um i do have a kind of science queue lined up in my news feed so that i'm you know seeing the the scientific breakthroughs and you know the stuff that's coming um Because it's good for, I think, every science fiction out there. Um, But I I don't think there's anything in particular that I think has come out that I – recently that has caught my eye. I think last year the big ones for me was um, getting to see the the progress of 3D printing as well as the um, the, the advances in the – really the – bio world with the artificial wombs I think that has a lot of applicability not just you know in the sense of it's an artificial womb but I think there's a lot of things you could do with that science once they get the science down right Um, not just hey we can keep babies alive outside the body Um, there's a lot of applicability there and I think there's a lot of things that we as authors can do with that Um, so that to me is really fascinating and, and Keeping up with that has been one of my things um, to read what's going on there. What have they learned and what new thing are they doing? Um, Other than that, I think I really am interested to see what Boeing does with the plasma force field shields that they've patented. (laughs)
1: Oh, that's awesome.
2: No, I think that's kind of cool. Um, That's the cool science in me that really wants to see that happen.
0: <laughs> so everybody who's expecting the next super secret project reveal from me that will be coming soon when it's delayed because I've fallen into the rabbit hole of research because now I want to know about these artificial wombs, send your hate mail to A.K. <laughs> Clark. We will have her, her contacts in the show notes, and I'm sorry in advance. Quit yeah. That sounds fascinating. Really? <laughs> you haven't thought about that yet? Like that's... No, I haven't. Really? I've been focused like the mech stuff, like uh
2: sure we were talking sure. about this. I'm pretty sure they grew with sheep. If I remember this correctly, I'm pretty sure they grew a sheep in an artificial
1: one. Yeah, I, I saw pictures of it.
0: Yeah, I did a quick Google while you were when you were describing it because my uh, my mind lit up. But so the um what I've been focusing more is on like the the more military applications, so like. Um, Israel recently took a drone that they added a sniper rifle to, which we've talked about in one of our uh, science episodes, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and then they had some breakthroughs in, like, mech suits. Like, uh, Japan built a... Uh, they call it the uh, land mech. It's like the for toddlers. It's literally a mech suit for toddlers. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. There's no way that's going to go wrong. <laughs> I-,
0: I showed that to my wife and she's like, yeah, no, your kids aren't getting one. <laughs> I tried to tell her all the cool kids would have one and they would feel left out, but I, I got the look. So, sorry, boys. I tried. <laughs> so, no, I've been looking at more like the military applications. I spend way too much time on DARPA's website on their on their uh, their military advancement stuff. So, and I've been following the um, – they have like a – not really biofoam like, like most science fiction writers use it, but they've got – like the artificial band or like a liquid band aid that you spray on that's supposed to like seal wounds. So I've been looking at a lot of the, the medical applications. Um, yep. And I've been paying a lot of attention to like the, uh, the helmet improvements. So one of the things that's changed with warfare is that uh, our ability to get people off the battlefield when they're wounded to a, a hospital, a mash unit, whatever has increased so greatly that people are living with wounds that would have killed them before myself included. And so like, I've been following like some of the developments that comes came out of that. I know military warfare, cause war zones get a lot of injured people, um, has led the way in some science uh, and medical breakthroughs. So I've been following like the advancements in helmets. They've been working with the NFL about some um, better helmets for soldiers that are like help with concussions and stuff. I just find all that fascinating, but that's not the one that I actually have been watching the closest so the um, uh, hypersonic SR-71 uh, plane was a Cold War long dead project for a, for a spy plane, and they've made it hypersonic, and the 71 became 72. So the seven, SR-72 Blackbird, which it's a spy plane, so of course it's all over the internet.
2: <laughs> right
0: right, because we all needed to know about top secret government projects but that just looks interesting but it's it appears from what i can find to be unmanned and when i see unmanned and computer controlled and ai controlled all i think of is you want skynet this is how you get skynet <laughs> so yeah
1: <laughs> what about you chris oh the, the one i've been watching is actually probably the seventh or eighth one I've seen, but the latest one, the the interwebs is calling it the Michigan meteor. Uh, this was just we're right in the middle of January, so not not too long ago. This meteor exploded over Michigan, caused a two point something earthquake. It was seen by all the states around it, and it's it fascinates me that there is either there's either so many of these, or they're happening more often, or Possibly because people have dash cams. We're catching them more often, so we're noticing them. Or there's something that the government is not telling us. So I love conspiracies, and especially ones about uh, uh, the end of the world.
2: We just watched a documentary on UFOs. There's definitely something the government's not telling us.
0: Oh, I Absolutely. believe it. I'm not <laughs> saying it was aliens, but I'm not not saying it either. <laughs> <laughs> so are you familiar with, um, with uh, Stream?
2: I'm not.
0: So basically it's like Netflix, but it's got all documentaries and they've got a bunch on space. My wife calls it Nerdflix because um, <laughs> it's like literally like history. I've been binge watching like uh, about the ancient Celts and, and all of that. But they also have a bunch um, on, on science and stuff that I watch with my son. So they've got some where they talk to Neil deGrasse. De, Oh, I can't pronounce his name, but um, Tyson Tyson. Um, Yeah. So he's done a couple and they've done a bunch on on the the science and stuff. And I'm waiting for them to come out and say, we know it's aliens. I'm waiting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really neat. That's definitely something. If I tell my husband about it, he'll get it all set up for me because he loves documentaries and then I don't have to put any effort into it. I'll just, it'll just happen. It'll just
0: actually, be there. It's a pretty cool website. It's literally just curiositystream.com. And it's um, it's sort of like once you get your, your subscription, you you pay it by the year, I think is what we did. And the, the price varies on if you want regular HD or whatever is above HD. It's like I, I can't even remember. 4k yeah there we go so and, you know obviously the quality of the streaming and then you either can watch it on your computer if you're smart you can hook your computer up to the tv and watch it that way but it also will connect like to your xbox one i don't know if it does playstation yet so probably roku as well yeah i don't know what that is so this is where i smile and nod <laughs>
2: <laughs> I still have a three, I still it's not the awesome. 360 so maybe it's backwards compatible. how do you how
0: have you not upgraded <laughs>
2: Uh, because Xbox is expensive.
0: This is true. But I mean, research.
2: And we're trying to be responsible adults, you know, and pay our mortgage and stuff.
0: I mean, but this is for science. It's I mean, important. This, this is research. Yes, it does take Roku. I'm on their website real quick. But I mean, this could be like research. So sure. you could watch it. Like, you could play Halo, see, and then you're practicing for your space marine <laughs> combat scenes, and then it's totally tax deductible. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't work for the IRS, and so I'm not an IR, you know, like a tax consultant, but I, I'm sure it's it. like a business expense.
2: I love it. Yeah. We could, we could totally pull that off. Right? I mean, what could now possibly the go IRS. wrong? Now, however, the IRS is going to audit me. Good <laughs> job.
1: Or me, you know, because I just said this. I had nothing to do with either of them, just in case anyone I, I disavow,
2: I disavow, I <laughs> disavow. Well, you know, I got audited like five times when I was in college. Every single year I got audited. I don't know what they thought I was doing. But apparently, <laughs> wow. whatever I was doing, you know, going to college, man, Poof. <laughs> wow,
0: knock on wood, I've never actually been audited. <laughs> so... Now that I say that, I'm going to get a knock on the door and it's going to, it's going to be the tax man. <laughs> so, that's that's fascinating. But yeah, I, I really I love it. It's um um it's got some pretty pretty neat people on their staff. There is I'm trying to think Mish, Misho, Michio M I C H I O Michio Kaku is a uh, physicist who's uh teaches at uh, in New York. But he also wrote a book that our um, a friend of the show Terry Mixon recommended for Chris and I called Physics of the Future. And he's Ooh. actually, yeah, it's it's really cool. He did a bunch of, of books in that series. He's actually one of the um, advisory board members.
2: You should you should send me a link to that when when this is over because that actually sounds fascinating. Yeah, I
0: bought it. All right, well, since. Yeah, I did too. I got a, a paperback, but let me, or hardcover, excuse me. Let me make a note. We'll put that in the show notes. So physics of the future. It's really cool. I, I've been browsing it, uh, reading it with my son. He is um, nine and loves everything science. So it's just, why not, you know, encourage that, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: go for it. All right. So in our, our last question, before we transition out of this, cause we could talk all day and then would have people falling asleep on us. And, Anyway, so what do you see as trends f- coming for 2018 with science fiction?
2: Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with the answer that I think everybody's giving right now, which is um, lit RPG and virtual reality. Um, just because I think it's going to be really, really hard to escape the Ready Player One wave, I think that's that's going to be that's going to be the the big one. Um, and I think that's going to kind of take over. Okay.
0: The um, uh, there's a recent development um, that Chris and I we've talked about it, and we've we've done a couple tech episodes. Um, and one of the ones that that we mentioned briefly, just because there's not a lot out on it yet, but they actually have. It's almost like wearing a wetsuit, and it's got like electrodes all over it. And then the um, AI when it interacts with it, or the virtual reality, you can like feel sensations from the virtual reality. Yeah. So, I know. <laughs> I'm so it was. have you seen um um demolition man uh,
2: um let's see uh no, I don't think I've actually seen that
0: one okay well it's a post apocalyptic sort of sci-fi that's the one with the three seashells and taco Bell's the only restaurant of the future. God help us all <laughs> um but no, the reason I mentioned that is they actually have a scene where they're using essentially technology that sort of does that so it's it's always yeah. cool when we see you know uh, technology from a sci-fi years later show up as legit. Like I I just, that always blows my mind.
2: Yep. Yep. I love that too.
0: But yeah, it looks like they, I've watched testing and it, it seemed, f- I mean, obviously they could be faking it. You never know. I mean, this could be like yeah. a stand stage in Hollywood, but, but it looked, it looked cool. So it's definitely worth I looking into.
2: read about that. And I like jumped out of my seat. I was so excited. Like virtual reality is my thing. I, I've been waiting for virtual reality for 10 years. I have been watching like before this was even like a thing. I've been like finding scouring the internet for, for articles and like developments and stuff like that. Like if I could be a beta tester for any of that stuff, <laughs> I would be all over it. Like, that's my thing.
0: That was always <laughs> my, uh, my favorite that. part of the, <clears throat> the star Trek where they had the, uh, the hollow holograph- deck or whatever. Oh Yeah. I totally never would have left that thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> They'd have to like come kick me out because I'd be like no, five more minutes, guys. <laughs> yeah. They actually use that uh, similar technology in uh, the Orville. Yeah. I just I think that that's awesome. But yeah. uh, we're we're running a bit long, and, and Chris is giving me the evil eye through the monitor, oh, just like Sauron. He can do that that, that <laughs> stuff. People, be afraid, be very afraid. But so, where can listeners find you?
2: Um, so I have a website and dot That's pretty easy. Um, where I post all the links to my books and I update what I'm working on and stuff like that. So that's a really easy way to find me. Um, and just kind of get an overview of what I'm doing. Um, but then I'm always on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. So, um, those are all really good ways to find me.
0: Outstanding. As usual, those will be in the show notes. Chris, do you want to tell people where they can find us?
1: Sure. Our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter is at SFS, that's Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. And our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. Thank you for spending some of your precious
0: time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm Jr. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... Uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.